being happy with with where you are today and where that relationship is today and remembering that it's all the story we tell ourselves so we could say you know my my husband is is grumpy and uh, I don't get along with him or, or whatever or we could say you know maybe he's in a stressful time of his life or maybe there's some maybe there's a, a couple of key conversations we need to have to kind of break through this so it's all the story we tell ourselves about where we are today but then also remembering that there are likely new uncharted levels of greatness you just have to find them and commit to them and i i wanted to share this at the end because i didn't believe that hello and hola friends welcome to the medicine marriage and money podcast the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. pay Uncle Sam more money than you need to come tax time. Good news, you don't have to, but you might need some help from the experts. John McCarthy, co-founder of Physician Tax Advisors, and his team of CPAs have a combined total of over 60 years experience helping physicians save money. They know around the time your taxes are due that it's added stress to an already full plate. Get the help you need and save money while you're at it with Physician Tax Advisors. This firm is a physician family owned and exclusively works only with physicians to lower their tax bill. By specializing in physician finances, John and his team have helped many physicians with high student debt decide if they need to file their taxes as married, filing joint, or separate. We ran the numbers and know working with John just makes sense. Check them out at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash CPA. Hello, friends. Please welcome our guest on today's show, Dr. Elaine Stageberg. She is a mother of three, a trusting and supportive wife, and reached financial freedom before graduating from her residency in psychiatry this summer. Elaine has a background in healthcare administration and is now co-owner and principal of Black Swan Real Estate. She has a personal real estate portfolio of $10 million and manages a $20 million portfolio among herself and her investors. I am super excited to talk to Elaine today about her and her husband's journey through medicine, marriage, and money. Please welcome Dr. Elaine Stageberg. Yeah, I am so excited to be here, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I think you were absolutely onto something here, you know, talking about marriage and the very important role it plays in our lives. You know, certainly for me, and I think for probably many of your listeners, it has been the vehicle that has allowed me to really, you know, reach the goals that I have wanted to reach, to have someone to celebrate the successes with, someone to share the sorrows with. And so I love that you're you know, creating this space where we can talk about these things together and have this, this new spin of being able to talk about this really important relationship as well. Oh, good, good. Well, let's just dive in there. You and Nick, and before we, okay, before we start talking about you and Nick, 
just give me your definition of marital interdependence, or in other words, what makes a successful marriage? Yeah. So that, that has changed for me over the years. My husband and I have been married for um, nine years. We've been together for 10 years. So we met when we were fairly young. We were in our early 20s. We're in our early 30s now. Um, and, and that certainly has changed. Um, what, what I think of as marital interdependence today is having what Tony Robbins calls a level three relationship. So it is the idea that in... A, a very committed, loving relationship, but not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a, a marriage relationship, but it can, it can even be like um, like best friends or siblings, um, but some sort of, you know, co-equal relationship. Like it wouldn't quite make sense with like a parent-child relationship, but certainly the marriage relationship falls into this, is that each partner is completely responsible for the needs and, and feelings of the other partner. And when I first heard that, I thought like, well, that's like completely crazy. Like, we are both adults. We're not, you know, I'm not responsible for, for if he's in a bad mood and he's not responsible for if I'm in a bad mood. But when we really like studied this idea and really have started practicing it in our lives over the last about year, it, it really has taken our relationship to the next level. So his needs are my needs. My needs are his needs. And there are times when that isn't the case, right? Like if one of us is, is sick or is really, really busy or has a need, then you know then that person's needs comes first but for the most part kind of in our day-to-day -day life we really think about well, what does the other person want and then because we have such a deep love for each other that need becomes like if his need is he really wants thai food that evening and i don't really like thai food like a year ago i might have said well i don't like thai food let's do this and now i think this is a real need of his and because I love him so much and because I want him to to have as much happiness as possible, I'm going to we're going to have this for dinner. That's like a really simple example of it. And when both partners are doing that back and forth with that interdependence, that word you use there, it creates this really beautiful, synergistic, um, just really powerful energy that has like totally launched our relationship to the next level. Oh, wow. Okay. I never, I never even heard of it that way. Cause I mean, I follow Brooke Castillo and she says, you know, your only job is to, to be loved, to, to love them, to love your partner. But when you put it like your needs, your partner's needs become your needs, I guess that's kind of just like loving them. Cause you're really taking their needs, their wants, their desires and making them yours. I guess that's just a form of showing them love, right? Yeah, so I, you know, I'm glad you brought up Brooke because I had I had heard a lot about kind of Brooke's ideas there around relationships before I heard Tony's. And when I first heard it, so we, we were at Date with Destiny, this was December of 2019. And we you know, were driving back to our Airbnb that night and I was kind of jazzed up about it. And I'm like, clearly people love this night. Clearly there's a lot of like really amazing ideas here. But this kind of doesn't feel right because I had, you know, I had heard a lot of that stuff from from Brooke's podcast. And as a psychiatrist, you know, we we work so much on like boundaries and caring for oneself. And um, but over time, I have seen that the the ideas actually go really well together. The key is both partners have to be bringing that energy. If only one partner is bringing that energy, then 
things are going to fall apart. And kind of on the, the far spectrum of that, that would be like an abusive relationship. If it's always about one partner's needs day in and day out, every single decision. But when both partners are bringing that, the, that energy, things just explode in this really beautiful way. And since it is my job to just love him kind of for whoever he is, whatever his need is right at that time, that be becomes my need and I'm naturally driven to fulfill it because I want to love him and I want to demonstrate that love and love is a verb, not a noun. And so if I can love him as an action by meeting whatever need he has at that time, then it just creates this kind of beautiful energy. What if one person in the relationship is not doing it? How long do you, is there a certain amount of time you can give them to jump back on, jump back in? Yeah. So I think, I think both partners, you know, both partners, if, if both partners are committed to it, that's where kind of the magic happens. But certainly there have been times where my husband has been more kind of committed to it, or I've been more committed to it, kind of depending on how our own energies are doing or what things we have going on in our own lives. For us, we, you know, we, we are very open with talking about each other. Okay, can we kind of feel our energy slipping? What can we do to kind of bring that back up? Or saying, right now, I do need it to be more about my needs. Like, like, you know, I just had a baby. So I just went through birth and that postpartum period. And for a long while after that, it was more about my needs because that was, you know, kind of biologically and sociologically appropriate. But that, but we, you know, we try to get back to that. Well, how do we get back to that really beautiful energy where we're both really working hard to, to meet the other person's needs? You know, I think one partner, if, if the other partner isn't feeling that energy, one partner can certainly, you know, live it by demonstrating it and kind of bring that partner along. And then I think that's really where Brooke's work comes in that, you know, let's say, let's say that one partner isn't kind of reciprocating that energy. Well, our job is to love them and to know that the marriage relationship is long, decades long. It's you know one of the longest relationships we have in our lives and it will come and that the relationships ebbs and flow as time goes on. And there's always opportunity for improvement. So, you know, like, like Tony Robbins, there's like, he has like six levels of a relationship and it basically goes from no relationship at all is level one and level six is like a relationship where every day it's just love and passion and honeymooning and kind of where are you in those six levels and it goes up and down and kind of just thinking every day, what can I do to take the relationship to the next level? I can't make my partner do anything. I can't force my partner. All I can do is demonstrate the level of relationship that I want and then hope that they either subconsciously pick it up and um, start doing it or consciously say, hey, something has changed here. What's going on? Or you have a, an experience together, like going to like listening to a podcast or going to a, a marriage retreat. Or for us, it was like Tony Robbins events. And if if let's say that the partner doesn't change, well, you love them anyway. And you by you love them so much that you just want to love them. So they all all those ideas kind of go together even though on the surface they maybe seem like they're at like opposite ends of the spectrum, I think they actually go very, very well together. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's so beautiful. And let's talk about you and, and when you first met Nick. Tell, take us back. How many years ago was that? 
So we met on September 11th of 2010, and we kind of joked that if we had known how much we were going to love each other, maybe we would have picked September 12th. We met on a Saturday, um, but it's been easy to remember um, the, the date of our uh, of the anniversary of when we met. And then four years later, our daughter was born on our wedding anniversary, which is October 1st. So after that, we really reverted to kind of celebrating our anniversary on September 11th. So we celebrate the anniversary of the day we met kind of over our wedding anniversary so that October 1st can be our daughter's birthday and really all of the, the focus is there. So we were young, I was 23, Nick was 27. Um, we met online. He had a picture of his German Shepherd um, on as his profile picture. I had two German Shepherds myself. His dog is Norris. My dogs were Kaiser and Gretchen. And that was our spark of like, hey, let's like take these dogs to the dog park and, and get to know each other and spend some time with, with our dogs. And all three of them have, have since passed away. Kaiser and Gretchen both died in 2016 and Norris just died this past summer. Um, but man, I, I just always think like those dogs brought us together and just like, you know, how much can change in one second? Like maybe I wouldn't have kind of looked at his profile for a minute or two more if he hadn't had that picture of the dog and like how much of life is luck. And, you know, like I almost just get like goosebumps thinking about the dogs and kind of how they sort of set the trajectory of our lives. We named our, our second child, our first son, we named him Shepherd, largely because of our relationship with our German Shepherds and how that you know, brought us together and kind of shaped our marriage. And then, you know, we like the name of the meaning Shepherd and being a protector and a, a leader and a guide. Um, so we met online and then we met in person rather quickly. I think we started uh, chatting on like a Wednesday, decided to meet on a Saturday. We met for coffee at a Starbucks. Um, my husband walks very quickly. And so he was like, so we like met, I don't think we like shook hands or anything. I, I'm not sure if we hugged or I don't think it was shaking hands. That would have been weird, but some sort of like, hi, how are you? And then, and then he was like at the cash register before I had walked like three steps and I'm like a pretty feisty person. So I remember kind of like looking at him and I could see his back and he was maybe like, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 feet away. And I remember thinking like, I should just leave. I should just like turn around and then he'll order his whatever coffee he wants. And then he'll say, and she'll have, and there will be no she. And then I was like, well, that's dumb. I like put my makeup on and I'm here. So I'll like run to catch up with him. And that's another example of like, what if I had left? Like I have this like amazing life that I have always dreamed of and always hoped for. And I could have just walked away. Um, he still walks fast. He has slowed down, especially as we have had more children because I have gotten like further and further and further behind. And like speaking of like, you know, meeting each other's needs, like there will be times where very openly I will say like my need right now is to walk slower. Like I just want to sort of like stroll through them all. This is pre-COVID when, you know, we went out into public. Um, but that was kind of my very first like two minute impression of him, which like just cracks me up to this day. And then I would say, you know, I would say we were very much like a, a story of love at first sight. We were talking about like, when can we get married in such a way that people take us seriously and don't just like two 20 year old kids going crazy by the end of our first date. 
Wow. By the end of your first date? By the end of our first date. So we, we met at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. We parted ways at 2 a.m. because I had to get back to let the dogs out to pee. And Nick said, I'll see you tomorrow. And I said, yep, that sounds good. Do you, when do you want me to come over? And he said, I don't know, like nine or 10. I said, that sounds good. Um, and just in that 13 hours, we talked about all sorts of life things and our work, our backgrounds, our childhoods. And we're like, this is like really something. And I remember like, I'm not sure which one of us started it, but sort of like some joke of like, we should get married. And then like very quickly we were like, huh, like I bet we are going to get married, but we don't want to do that in like a week because then no one will take us seriously. Let's do it in a year. Had you been talking online for a while? No, we started talking on like Wednesday or Thursday of that week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was all that first day. It was all talking about our childhoods, our shared values, kind of what we saw for our lives. Um, 13 hours. 13 hours. Yeah. We went to Starbucks, then we went to the dog park, then we went out to dinner. That was funny. Like we're talking just kind of in our own little zone. And then the waitress comes over and she said, guys, we've been closed for like two hours. We've washed every dish. We've cleaned every table. We've let you guys sit here like as long as we can, but we're all leaving now. So you have to leave too. And we kind of like looked around and we're like, huh, this place is like empty. Like not just like, not just like slow at the end of the night, like all the lights are off. Like, wow. And that was like midnight. And then we drove back to his house, talked for a little bit longer and then he said, and I said, I really got to, I got to let my dogs out to pee. I'm going to go home to pee on the carpet if I, if I don't get home pretty quickly. Um, and that was it. That is so special. Okay. 23 and 27. And you were a very mature 23. Looking back, I think, oh my gosh, I hope my kids don't do that. I wouldn't recommend a younger friend do that. But we were smart enough to say like, let's not get married today. Like that would clearly be crazy. So let's just enjoy this energy and let's see if it keeps going. And then we got engaged in, um, in June and then we got married October 1st. So it was like, it was a year and two weeks. And like on that first date, we had decided we will get married a year from now. And would, okay. Would you say, when did you start to fall in love with him? You know, I think there was some of that you know, kind of, stereotypical, like love at first sight. Um, well, not first sight, because he walked really fast, but first first hour, maybe. Um, I mean, there were some there were some big things early on that you know, that sometimes you can just get just like a clear glimpse into someone's personality and their decision making ability. So one of them early on was we would ride on his motorcycle and we were riding around a lake, so very sparsely populated, and it was dark. It was maybe maybe nine o'clock at night, um, and he kind of rolled through a stop sign. You know, to stop a motorcycle, you have to put your feet down and all that stuff, so he just kind of rolled through it. Well, we got pulled over, and I, I came from a childhood with a lot of drama, a lot of yelling, a lot of just like really negative feelings around you know, kind of an event, like if, if someone got pulled over or even if something like broke or that sort of thing. And I just remember thinking like, oh, well, it's probably like the end of this, like something's going to happen here and I'm not going to like it and I'm not going to feel safe with him. Um, and he was just so calm 
and so collected and just like very matter of fact with the police officer of like, yep, I you know technically broke the law by rolling through that stop sign. I'm so sorry. Here's why I did it. That doesn't make it right. What do you need to know so I can have the ticket? And I, you know, we were standing, obviously we weren't on the, the, the motorcycle anymore. And I just like, remember like, almost sort of like looking at him, you know, almost like, like the world was spinning. And it's such a simple story. But I think when, when you bring things from childhood um, that maybe you don't like, and then you really feel a connection with someone and you think that is what I want, that is what I'm looking for. It, you know, it just like crystallizes. Um, and then, you know, he got his little ticket and kind of turned around and said, you feeling okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. Like, I thought like the whole night would be derailed. I thought we'd be getting back on this motorcycle and driving back home and everyone in a sour mood. And clearly that's not what happened. And that has been kind of the whole like story of our marriage. Like I tend to be sort of the more kind of emotional, sort of quick to quick to it, like a certain energy or a certain thought. And I, and I love that about myself. And, and I think he loves that about me as well. But he's just this very level headed kind of cool as a cucumber. Um, just really calm, gentle energy. And when we kind of figured out that that's what we had going on together, and that like, together, if we could bring those energies together, we would be really powerful together. I would say that was the kind of the early feelings of like, there's like real, like there's a real connection here. Yes. Like he showed you that you, I mean, you had these beliefs, you, you thought you knew how things were going to play out and he showed you there could be another way to be okay. Wow. I think it was either, I listened to both uh, Vicky and Peter's podcast and yesterday. So I kind of can't quite remember which one said it, but it was a story kind of similar um, where yeah, they both kind of mentioned how their car the car was had been towed on their first date. Yeah, there was like snow or keys or something. Yeah, and I just remember kind of chuckling and thinking like that happened to us too. I know, it's like you just find the people that really just exude this yeah, this comp like if you're the one who's emotional and it's like the opposites attract, right? You don't you really don't see that it could be another way. Like you're treating your beliefs and the way stories play out as facts and then when you see that really happen a different way and in a way that makes sense and fosters love and relationship. And then it's just like, wow, I want to be with this person. I want this in my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember thinking at that time, I had a very clear thought in my head of this person is a very good decision maker. We have kind of come back to that, um, to that theme kind of throughout our, our relationship. So years later, he wrecked his motorcycle. He was driving very carefully, had his helmet on. He was going like 30 miles an hour commuting to work. There was just some sand on the road and he wrecked, but it was a, a pretty serious wreck. And um, we, we weren't, you know, it was actually months later because we weren't married yet. It was in like, or maybe we had been married one year. I can't quite remember the, the timing of it, but in any case, um, you know, after we, you know, were together and knew that he was okay and, and wasn't going to need any surgeries or, or anything like that. Um, I remember him saying, I knew that you would be the one making decisions for me. And that felt really good. And this was before I was, 
I wasn't in medical school. So now, yeah, now the timing's coming back to me. This was before I was in medical school. So it wasn't the sense of like, oh, you're the doctor, you're going to make decisions. It was just, we, we knew that we liked the way the other one made decisions. And it, in marriage, you know, the vast majority of the days, you're both making the decisions together. But that is also your kind of designated person that will make big decisions for you if something happens to your health or your finances or, or you die or whatever. And we've kind of carried that energy through. Um, and it just feels really good. Kind of both of us come from childhoods where we had to make decisions for ourselves at very, very, very young ages. And so having this relationship in adulthood where we feel very comfortable knowing that if the other one has to make decisions for us, we're 100 percent on board with that. It just allows this like peace that we didn't quite have growing up. Yeah, I never thought about that way, because even with with Victor, yeah, I am so confident that he's he's always going to make the right decision. Like when I started investing in real estate and doing all this stuff and I had no idea what was going on. It didn't even matter. Like I still, I, I have, I had a plan and I still, I do know what's going on uh, most of the time, but yeah, it's just like, I put so much trust. Okay. And then tell us about your proposal story. So um, I want to tell a story about kind of, you know, I've talked a lot about kind of our serious natures. So we have, we have kind of some silliness in us too, and kind of some risk taking. So let me back up a, a hair before the proposal. So um I uh, I wasn't in medical school yet. I was working, but I was planning to go to medical school. And so we knew that I would I would not have my income anymore and we would just be living off of my husband's income. But I wanted a very nice ring. And there are like new things in life that I kind of, you know, really lean into like luxuries, but that one was really important to me. And it was also very important to me that we not uh, purchase my ring on debt. I didn't want to look down at my finger every day and think about debt. I wanted to know that that we had paid for it. So we had the ring picked out. We knew it was like way out of our budget, didn't want to do debt. And at the time, I didn't know this. I know it now. But at the time, um, my husband was thinking, well, maybe I'll sell my motorcycle. Or he had like like a junky, like early 1990s truck and then a nice sports car. And he's like, well, maybe I'll sell my sports car and I have enough equity in that. You know, he's kind of like thinking about like, you know, to like a young guy, like these are important things, you know, not, not just that he enjoyed them, but his kind of marks of freedom and kind of what he had worked for, you know, putting himself through college and that sort of thing. And one day he sent me an email of a link, uh, a Craigslist link of a truck that, uh, so we lived in Oklahoma City at the time, so it was a, an oil filled truck. And these are trucks where like the truck is still there, but the bed of the truck is gone because they've hooked it up to some sort of special oil equipment. Well, then once that truck is done being used in the oil field, like it's not very useful anymore. Like, yeah, you can move a couple bodies around in it, but there's no truck bed. We sent me the link to that like half truck and then the link to just a truck bed that was like two hours away in this like small little farming town. And he said, if I buy these two things and I put them together, that truck will, it will now be worth, this amount of money and that will pay for your ring or maybe wow i don't think he said it quite ex quite that explicitly but it was like pretty obvious like we knew that there was like a bucket of money that we needed for this thing that we wanted but the 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 funny part is he didn't actually have the money i was the saver and so i had the money and so he said will you loan me the money to buy this truck in this truck bed and i promise you you'll be happy about it 
And I'm like, sure, that sounds good. And so that was kind of the start of, so I loaned him the money. He always says I was his first investor. I, I loaned him the money. He bought the truck. He bought the bed. Uh, he put it all together, sold it, gave me back my money. Um, a couple months later, the ring was purchased and, and we got engaged. Um, and then that kind of, that's when we were like, huh, well, maybe we could like do this like for real. And so before we invested in real estate, we had a, a small car dealership in Oklahoma City where we basically bought distressed vehicles and improved them and cleaned wow. them up and sold them. Yeah. And it all came from from that one. So that, that stress, the obstacle is the way. So that that stress of wanting to to have that extra income to buy this luxury kind of created this whole business. Wow. And now you have your perfect ring. I do. Yeah, I do. So we got engaged on Mount Rainier. Um, we, I had flown to Seattle for a, for a work conference. I had some friends there I wanted him to meet. So he came with me. Um, I, I had kind of known a proposal was coming because we, you know, we had had the, the discussion about the truck and all of that. And then, you know, we had talked about how well, we're going to get married in about a year. So at this point, we were like four months out from that. So I kind of knew a proposal was coming. I didn't think it would happen in Seattle. I thought he was really creative. Um, we we went to what's called Paradise in Mount Rainier National Park. It's like a nice lodge kind of midway up the mountain um, and then hiked in the snow for maybe maybe 45 minutes or an hour. So we, we certainly hadn't summited the mountain, but we were at an, a nice place with beautiful views and, and he proposed right there. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. Okay. And then you, you touched on you're the saver. You didn't want to look at your ring and see debt. Let's talk a little bit about that. What kind of, what's your husband, you know, what's your husband? Is he a saver? I mean, it sounds like he's an, an investor. Yeah. So he, he has always been the one that I think is a little more entrepreneurial than me. Um, I, you know, I very much was on the medicine path of, you know, I need to take these tests, get into this school, you know, do all these things. And, and he was more of, you know, what kind of business can we create or what kind of opportunities can we put together? Um, so when we, so I told the story about the, the truck. Um, and then when we got married, I had a home that I owned and he had a home that he owned. His home was nicer. So we decided to live in, in his home and I really wanted to just sell my home. So we got married in October. I was starting medical school that following year. So in like August. So I thought you know, this would be crazy for us to be landlords and have two mortgages while I'm in medical school, while we only have one income. We just got married. We're hoping to get pregnant. Like this is the worst time to start this. And um, he kind of got his way. Not, not because I just gave you know, kind of full steam ahead. So we, we did list the home for sale uh, in 2011 in Oklahoma City. The market was was fairly soft then. Um, and that home was in a, a new construction neighborhood. So, you know, there were, there were brand new homes, like literally right across the street. Um, so that home didn't sell. It sat on the market not very long, maybe six weeks, but like it was clear that, that we were not going to sell it. Um, and he said, you know, I really want to rent it. Like, do you feel comfortable renting it now that, that we've tried to sell it and have failed? And I said, well, I wouldn't quite say I feel comfortable, but I feel like this is the best choice at this point. Um, and so that's how we became real estate investors. We very much were the story of kind of accidental landlords, um, realized that we actually really loved it. The first two families uh, that lived in, in that home, 
Uh, one of them lived there for two years. They had a baby and moved out. The next couple lived there for about three years. They had twin babies and moved out. And so even though today our portfolio is big enough that we don't have those, those personal relationships with our tenants, early on we had these you know, really lovely glimpses into people's lives. And we felt like you know, we were able to help them with securing good, safe, high quality housing and kind of get to see them you know, in, in their life and really fell in love with, with real estate investing. And I, I kind of credit all of that to my husband because I really wanted to sell. I, I did not like the idea of having two mortgages and, you know, all of the work that went into being a landlord. Um, and then, but being able to actually do it, I was able to see, oh, actually, I really do like this. And the mortgage is getting smaller and we're getting some cash flow from this property. And we're getting to help people with housing, which is a, a huge part of anyone's life. What I was going to say is I had, we had like a somewhat similar experience. I never wanted to be a landlord. Like after the, you know, the 2008 crash and I started residency in 2009, my uncle kept trying to encourage me to buy homes in Detroit where I was living and start renting them out. I'm like, I'm starting residency right now. Like I don't have time for this. I'm either studying at the hospital or having fun. And so that was my mentality. And then once I you know, met Victor and years down the road, we moved to Dallas and start uh, renting our house on Airbnb. I, I feel like we, I kind of got that same connection like you did. I I started meeting every single person who was coming into my house. Only if, they, I mean, and they were only coming in for a weekend or a week at a time. But that experience was like exhilarating. Like you got a glimpse into, oh, this person is going to do this this weekend in my house in Dallas and I am helping provide space for this, for whatever it is that's happening. And yeah, it's such a special feeling. And yeah, we didn't do that. Um, once we started having babies and we didn't do that, um, you know, every weekend and as time went on, we would more just talk over text and not in person, but you kind of know, I mean, you, it sets the stage and then it's, it's so exciting and it's like becomes addicting. So, so yeah, and then tell us like, so then and then how how did everything play out? Like, because now you have Black Swan Realty. You're the, I mean, you you have that. Tell us about that company, how that came about. Yeah. So I, I told you about the story about the first one. That was in 2011. And then, you know, through like 2012, 2013, we were really like, wow, you know, we really like this. Um, and then, so one of the things that I later learned, I, I learned this from, from a Tony Robbins event. It's, it's kind of stereotypical, but I think it does fit for us is that women like security and men like freedom. And so early on, I was more focused on, well, how can we get more properties so that we have more security in case maybe I'm disabled and I can't work as a physician, or maybe he was, you know, he was still had a, a very good uh, job at that time, earning a, a W-2 income. What if he was disabled? Um, what if we had a special needs child? You know, what if one of us died? So early on, I was very focused on how can we create this portfolio that provides more security? And he was, you know, we were, we were doing the same things, but he was thinking, how can we create this portfolio that provides more freedom? And so even though it was the same thing, it was kind of a different way for us to think about it, kind of a, kind of a traditional like masculine feminine energy. Um, so we started liking, we started, you know, really realizing that we, we liked it in like 2013 after we had had a couple of years of, of renting that one home under our belt. And then in 2015, we bought our first property 
that we purposefully bought to invest. It, it was a, a class like C minus, like on a bad day, a class D property. It was all we could afford. We scraped together $35,000. We had a very seasoned uh, real estate agent help us buy it from a foreclosure. It had been vacant for years in Oklahoma City. It needed a, a, a top to bottom renovation. A lot of it we had to hire out because, you know, like HVAC and roof and that sort of thing. But anything that we could do, we did ourselves. So this was pre-children. So we painted it. We laid all the tile. We renovated the kitchen, renovated the bathroom, um, you know, hung doors, uh, any anything we could do. We bought used appliances on Craigslist and, we, you know, set them up in the house. And getting able to being able to experience that together and really feel like we were building something together, I think that early experience like really solidified that this was something that we enjoyed doing together and we could physically see the fruits of our labor. So we renovated that whole house in about a month. So it was a very quick like, here it is now, here it is a month later. Oh wow, we really can make a difference. Um, and I, I share pretty openly that in that same time I was miscarrying our first baby. And so that was, it was very sad. That was something we, we had hoped for, we had worked for. And then I was you know, literally watching that slip through my fingers. And my husband would say, are you, are you sure you want to work on the house tonight? You just want to stay home and you know, put your feet up and, and relax. What can I do for you? And I was just so committed to saying, you know, this future, this, this baby future, I'm not getting this and there's nothing I can do to change that right now. But this future, this house, I can do that. I can go and physically put my labor into that and make that part of our lives come true. Um, and then eventually we got pregnant and, and had our daughter. But that was a, when I look back, it was January of 2015. And when I look back on that month, like that was the month where everything changed. That was the month where we really decided that we were going to work together. We were going to do hard things. We were going to do interesting things. We were going to take an appropriate um, amount of risk. And even when there was suffering and even when there was hurt, we were going to do it together because we had a vision of the future. And we were going to make that happen. And then we bought our next one in 2017, more in 2018. And then just, just kind of once we built the systems and we, you know, we were able to have a pretty large scale of our portfolio over the last several years. Even when there is suffering. It's all the story we tell ourselves about it, right? Like I could have gone home and said, I'm miscarrying my baby. And we just spent our life savings on this dump property in this crappy neighborhood where everything's broken and it looks like a war zone. What are we doing? I'm just going to go home and sleep or I'm just going to go home and pout or, you know, whatever. Instead, I said, okay. I, we know the future we want and we're going to work for it. Here we go. Wow. Oh my gosh. And look what you've built since then. Yeah. Right. You haven't stopped. You're about to, I mean, I, and I heard on your lecture at um, PIMD con, you're about to, or you are purchasing a subdivision, a townhome subdivision. Yeah. Yeah. So everything's kind of chugging along on that. We're in our financing period right now, working with the banks to, to get, to get our loan on that. So it's a, um, a subdivision that should be about 120 townhomes. The builder has only built 30 of them. Um, and then for a number of reasons decided that he personally doesn't want to keep building, but every 
place to continue all of the plans, um, all of the you know city zoning and planning approval. Um, so, and then there's there's 30 that are constructed. So it's already a cash flowing asset, um, but then there's an opportunity to build about another. 90, maybe 95 um, homes. I'd need to look at the, the specific plans, but that's our biggest project to date. Um, and it, it feels kind of like the, kind of like those first couple of, it, it's the same feeling, just bigger, right? So like when we, when we took our life savings and we bought that, that first foreclosure, there was this feeling of, huh, here we go. <laughs> and it's kind of that same feeling right now. I mean, obviously we have more experience, but I've learned over time that that feeling is the feeling of excitement. And again, it's all the story we tell ourselves. So when I feel that physical feeling in my body, I could think, well, this is fear or this is anxiety, or I could think this is excitement. This is anticipation. And I choose to think that it's excitement and anticipation. And so we're really, we're really excited. We actually think we might, so the, the, the subdivision is about 10 miles from, from where we live right now. And the, the construction portion of it will take probably two to three years. And we think we might actually live on site. Wow. Oh my gosh. So that same feeling inside your body, the same feeling that you have when you feel fear is also the same place you feel excitement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Think about like when you're at like the peak of a roller coaster and you have that, you know, sort of stirred up, like, ooh, feeling like that in that moment is both fear and excitement, right? Like you're a little bit afraid you're riding that roller coaster. That's why you're riding it is to induce that feeling, but you're also excited. And that's the feeling that, that I think that we all feel every day. And it's the story we tell ourselves of, is this anxiety or is this excitement? And, you know, we're, we're doers. We like to be hands-on with our projects. So, you know, just like we were hands-on with that first renovation, laying the tile ourselves, like we don't do that anymore, but we can still be very hands-on. And so we're fairly certain we're going to live on site and kind of be there overseeing the, the development of the, the rest of that subdivision. Okay. And so as you're doing all this, I mean, you're building up your real estate empire. You're also, you're also in medical school slash res, now residency or almost just finished residency and you're married and you have three kids. Like how, or for anybody else trying to maybe do, you know, kind of that too, like balance their family life with their residency or their attending or whatever, wherever they are in medicine and like throw in real estate or investing on top of that. How does that work? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the million dollar question for sure. Um, and that changes, you know, day in and day out, year to year, month to month. Um, a lot of that, a lot of the foundation there is knowing that we have a vision and knowing that seeing that vision come to fruition is really what we want. And so when we're, you know, maybe doing something we don't want to be doing or we're tired or we're frustrated, really remembering that this is why we're doing that. And so that helps a lot with kind of keeping the energy going. Now, you know, of course, there, there are children to tend to and we want to spend as much time as possible with our children. And so we've you know, built our lives around 
including our children and our business as much as possible. So like this past summer, we went to like 70 properties and laid grass seed with our children. Like we, we could have hired that out to our landscaping company. They're already there mowing and doing other things, but it was a way to spend time with our children, to show them where the things that we have come from and help them understand that this is what we do. Mommy helps people who are sick and daddy helps houses who are sick. And if we help houses who are sick, then maybe we can have a nice toy or we can feel good about going back to look at that lawn later in the summer and seeing how beautiful it looks. So that's a way that we've kind of been able to to merge you know, business with family, with spending time with each other, um, separation of, of labor and duties. So there are things that I'm really good at. There are things my husband is really good at we could do the opposite you know i could be good at what he's good at and he could be good at what i'm good at but you know we kind of decided i don't know maybe three years ago like this is kind of your bucket this is kind of my bucket let's both excel at this we can cross cover for each other when we need to but if we really want to reach these big goals we're going to have to have kind of as much horsepower propelling us forward as possible so that's kind of been a big one and then we've had quite a bit of help so Anything that was not, it's actually very similar to the to the name of, of your podcast here, anything that was not each other, our children, medicine, or our business, we outsourced. And again, it's always about like that, like feeling of like anxiety and, and anticipation and excitement. So in 2000, I think it was 2017, um, we hired daily household help. We could barely afford it. Like it was like a huge stretch. We had to shave everything out of our budget except for that. Um, but that allowed us to have that person helping with laundry and meals and cleaning. And, you know, maybe she was doing, um, you know, one of the bath times so that we could do a really dedicated reading with one of you know the other child and like really getting that quality time instead of, you know, running in, you know, don't splash the water, then trying to read one sentence of the book and then don't drop that food. You know, it, so having that extra set of hands there so that it was a calmer, more peaceful energy, it was a stretch at first. And then my husband will say, you know, kind of again, thinking about it from, you know, kind of a stereotypical like masculine feminine energies. So I thought about it as security and wanting to have the energy in my home that that was calm and collected that I wanted to raise my children in. And my husband thought about it as, okay, if we're paying our nanny X amount of money, I need to make at least four X amount of money every hour to justify that by the time we pay her pay the taxes, all the overheads, and then justify the fact that he you know, was out of the home. And that like exploded our business, because all of a sudden we had, we couldn't just kind of like putz around with our time. Like we had a very real dollar figure on our time. And it totally changed the way we think about time. Um, and our nannies, you know, still a she's not a daily part of our lives anymore things have settled down but she still comes about two to three days per week she's kind of like a like a big sister or an aunt to our children um and just like re-examining those beliefs like you know my husband and i both came from very poor families and kind of stereotypical views of the wealthy and like oh if you have a nanny like someone else is raising your children like that's not true. Like it's an extra set of hands that loves our children, that knows our children kind of better than anyone in the world. And just getting back to that, it's all about the story we tell ourselves. And if we had let that limiting belief of 
well, getting help means we can't do it all or getting help means we're snooty or, you know, or whatever, whatever ideas we had in our head from childhood, we wouldn't be where we are today. And instead we had to say, we've got big ideas and big plans and we're going to need help. And how do we make that happen? And how do we create the, the home environment that we want? Because that's really what's most important. And then the business piece will come in, will kind of naturally fall into play. Oh my gosh, Elaine, you are brilliant. Like I could not have said any of these things. Oh, give yourself credit. You're, you are amazing too. Well, I love it because you, I mean, first of all, you're employing your children to lay grass seed with you. And you, know, you, of course, the lawn people could do it, but you're showing them this is how you make money and this is how you become secure and you become free and you open your option, your limit, your options are limitless, right? Like even now, like you are, you just graduated residency, right? In July, psychiatry residency. You've, so you've got this amazing um, background. I mean, you're a psychiatrist, you've got that. And, and you're, you're financially, like, when did you become financially, when did you reach financial freedom? I would say in 2018, we were at a place where if we lived very lean, we could have all of our needs met. And then, you know, kind of the things that we desire have increased over the years. But if, if we, you know, we, we could live now with all of our needs met and kind of a, a level of kind of, you know, extra and luxury that it would be very comfortable. So two years ago. So like halfway or less than halfway into your residency, you're financially free. Now you can do whatever you want. You're, I mean, you can practice medicine on your own terms. You don't have to feel stuck or, uh, you know, victim to any of this stuff. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now? So the first, um, the first, so I, I'm actually kind of finishing up a, a last, the last few electives that I had because my, my graduation date was postponed because I had two of my children during residency. Um, but once I'm done with that, um, kind of my my mind knows that my mind knows that I don't know what I don't know. And so I want to spend some time. I, I've set aside about a month of time, mostly with just personal reflection. Some of the time I'm going to spend with my husband because obviously we need to craft our kind of our vision of our life together. But for the most part, it's just time with myself to read and reflect and to journal and to really think about what is next? What what does life look like in terms of practicing medicine? What does that look like? What role do I want to have in our business? Where do we want our business to go? Um, we hope to have more children. We're kind of crazy. We just love love babies. So you know, what, <laughs> you know, if we're blessed with more children, kind of what is that going to look like? What what sort of timelines do we want to put onto that? Um, you know, never in my life have I been able to say. I'm just going to think for a month like and, and you know of everything that I have been blessed with in my life I really count this experience that's coming up as probably in the top five or ten of being able to say I'm just going to sit and think and you know I've been on this you know, we, we all kind of jump on this train like starting in like kindergarten and it's just kind of you know one day after another after another the next test the next um, license, the next, you know, the next graduation, applying for residency, the match, you know, one rotation after another, and being able to say, I'm going to give myself a rotation. I'm just going to take four weeks to just think about like what's in my mind. And I've had enough experience 
over the last couple of years, I've really started journaling. And I think that's like such a fundamentally different um, experience than thinking. I have found that my my hand has a mind of its own. And when I think kind of a certain flow of thoughts come, but when I actually move a, a pen on paper, it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm writing that. And so I want just like a month of being able to do that and kind of see what happens on the other side. Maybe it'll just be small tweaks and kind of life as I know today will just be a little bit changed. Maybe it will be completely different. I have no idea. I'm excited to find out. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah, so let, let us know what you decide with that month. Your your options. I mean, you've got you've got you've got all the options now. So, are there is there anything else? I know any big I mean, I was going to ask you what's the smartest financial decision you've ever made in your life, but I feel like every decision you've made has <laughs> I've been super smart. You know, I, I, I've made I've made some bad decisions. Um, kind of a an early one. Uh, I was I was very young. I was like 21, and a friend was graduating from college and um, d- hadn't paid her last semester of tuition. And because of that, she wasn't able to get her transcripts. And because of that, she had a teaching job lined up, but she couldn't get the teaching job because she couldn't prove that she had a bachelor's degree. And I loaned her eight thousand dollars, and like it was just stupid. I've never seen a dime of that money back. So not everything has been sunshine and rainbows. I, we, I've made stupid decisions along the way. I've wasted money. It was a gift. It was an eight thousand dollar gift. You know, that's how I have. That is exactly the story I have changed in my mind. Is, um, you know, and, and life is long, and maybe one day she'll come back. Maybe we'll be eighty. You know, who knows? And maybe not. But. I was able to help her in her time of need. Um, so it, not not every not every decision has been has been smart. One of the things that that my husband and I did very early on it was in uh, so we got married in 2011 and we we have these spreadsheets going back to 2011. Is every month on the 15th of the month we sit down and we look at all of our accounts. So our checking accounts. Uh, all of our, you know, and any type of assets that we have, and then any liabilities that we have. And obviously, over time, that spreadsheet has changed. When we started, it was like, you know, eight entries, and now it's like 100. Um, but on the 15th of every month, and so we had a dedicated time to talk about money and to talk about, okay, well, here are the real numbers. But then here is a time to also talk about the emotions that go behind the numbers, because we all know with money, it's, you know, at least 50-50 emotion, in fact, if not 90-10. It's probably different for each person and different for each couple. But that was our designated time to say, here are the facts. How are we feeling about those facts? And we didn't have like this language to describe this at that point. Obviously, our language has evolved as, as we've gotten older. But we knew that we had that time. And so throughout the month, we didn't have to kind of get into squabbles or, you know, or things about money because we knew we were going to have that time together. And then over time, we have seen how things have changed. We've seen how we, you know, we have actual data of how decisions we have made have changed things for better or for worse. Um, and, and it's fun now to look back and, you know, kind of pick a month on the spreadsheet and look at it and like, we'll, we'll write in, you know, like various things that have happened that kind of have changed the numbers of, you know, like we went to Hawaii and that was like a huge financial expenditure for us in 2000. I'm sorry, we went to Alaska in 2012. And so it's like on like June of 2012, like our, our cash balance like went way down and there's like a little note that says like Alaska. 
And that's just like, Oh, you still have that on your list that you go over. So it's a, it's a Google sheet and there's a tab for every month at the bottom. And so, you know, we're all the way over on the left today, but we have what, like 120 of those tabs now going all the way back. And like, occasionally we'll kind of like click through and like, what was going on? And you know, what, what were the big things that were happening in our life? So it's kind of a journal of our life with, with our financials attached to it. But I would say the, the point I'm trying to get across is have a time, ideally with your spouse, but if, if that doesn't work by yourself to really look each month and see where am I and where am I going? And you know, we've been doing it so many, so many times now, it takes like 10 minutes to get the numbers. So you know, we've built a system for that. So that, that part is easy, but then being able to talk about, well, what are we seeing here? How do we feel about it? Sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, wow, that, that was a really good month or we've made some really good business decisions. And other times it's like, oh, this isn't quite right. I don't like the way this feels. How are we gonna course correct this? But the data is right there and the time is committed. 15th of every month. Okay. So you just got to figure out the system. Cause I can imagine me and Victor, like Victor does this. I think he looks at personal capital all the time. I, I check all the credit card bills every month and just see where money's going and coming from. But yeah, like put, putting everything in one place. I could, I imagine that would me take me hours to collect and gather all that data, but, but you've, Streamline. Yeah, and, and it probably would at first, like even in the beginning when we only had like, you know, two checking accounts and maybe three credit cards and a mortgage and a student loan. I mean, we didn't have much. It probably would take us, you know, over an hour. But now we have, you know, dozens of accounts, but we have a system in place to get all that information in very quickly. So it, it probably takes less than 15 minutes to get the numbers in. And then the talking could be anywhere from five minutes to a few hours. Like there's no way to kind of predict, you know, how long that will be, but we know we have that, that dedicated day every month to do that. Any, anything else, any keys to your confidence as a parent, spouse, doctor, portfolio manager, any big take home advice or uh, any last stories you want to share with our audience? You know, one of the things that, that comes to mind is it kind of, as with anything in life, but you know, since since we're here to talk about marriage, being happy with with where you are today and where that relationship is today, and remembering that it's all the story we tell ourselves. So we could say, you know, my my husband is is grumpy and um, I don't get along with him or, or whatever. Or we could say, you know, maybe he's in a stressful time of his life, or maybe there's some. Maybe there's a, a couple of key conversations we need to have to kind of break through this. So it's all the story we tell ourselves about where we are today, but then also remembering that there are likely new uncharted levels of greatness. You just have to find them and commit to them. And I, I wanted to share this at the end because I didn't believe that. So we went to, to date with Destiny in a, a Tony Robbins event in December of 2019. And it's kind of like a, like an overall life sort of reflection and planning event. And there's one night that's relationship night. And I remember kind of going into it. It's, it's like the middle of the, so it's like a six day event and relationship night is like night three or four. So it's kind of in the middle. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm glad it's in the middle. Cause like, I kind of need like a little bit of a break and like our marriage is great. And you know, there's like not a lot to improve. And wow, was I wrong. Like, yeah, you know, maybe we had a, I don't know, a seven or an eight out of 10 relationship, but 
that the difference is exponential, not linear. And so going from like a seven to an eight or an eight to a nine or like the rare days that we can get into a 10, like it is totally different. And I I wish I, you know, I'm glad that kind of the, Tony just has a way of like just being able to break down all of your barriers. But if I could go back to myself, I would say be open to the idea that things can improve, that just because they are really good doesn't mean they can't get even better. And if conversely, you're in a place where maybe things are like a three or a four or maybe even worse or kind of things are looking really bad, be open to the idea that life can change in an instant, that it only takes one thought, one conversation, one decision, and things can totally change. And so it, it, there, there's no need to feel stuck because it's just one instant and everything can change. Oh my gosh, this was beautiful. I cannot wait to share this with the world. I'm so glad to be here. This is like, this is my favorite thing to talk about. Like, I, I think, you know, I think I'm kind of, kind of known as like the person that likes to talk about real estate and I do, but really at the end of the day, the thing that is most important to me is, you know, my husband and my children. And this is what, these relationships are what make doing all of that worth it. They go so hand in hand. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I hope everybody took lots of notes. And yeah, maybe someday you'll be back and teach us what you learn in the next few years, what you're doing with your life. And I would love that. The goal to be a 10. Oh my gosh, to be a 10. That would be amazing, right? Just, yeah. I'll be listening a lot to your podcast and hearing from, you know, what other people are doing. And, um, you know, kind of going back to that thought that it's just one thought, one conversation, one decision, like look to people who are doing well and see what they're doing and try to implement those things in your own life. So I'll be listening a lot to hear what other people are doing. Perfect. Thank you so much, Elaine. Before we go, just a reminder to reach out to John McCarthy and the team at Physician Tax Advisors before you set out to handle your taxes this year. Taxes are complicated enough, so leave it to the professionals. Go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash CPA to get help today. the wisdom, the wisdom Dr. Elaine has. This is going to sound so ridiculous, but I think I might have said her last name wrong, pronounced it wrong. So I'm not going to pronounce it here in the outro. <laughs> I'm going to ask her how to say it and we'll talk about it later. But Dr. Elaine, the four big take-home points from Dr. Elaine. Number one, make your spouse's needs your needs. And if this happens both ways, if your spouse makes your needs their needs and you make their needs your needs, then you can take your relationship to the next level, the next tier. And I'm just going to give you a quick example because Victor and I work on this all the time. And I think, you know, I think there's definitely always more tiers to be jumped to. And this is definitely a daily task, a daily work in progress. And when we first were married, his thing was eating real dinner, like meat and rice. And my thing was eating dessert for like for, for dinner. So his his needs quickly became my needs. I started, we, I mean, we would cook or we would 
get food however you want you want to do it we started eating rice and meat <laughs> and with more veggies definitely more veggies than he was used to but his needs became mine and and then and similar like I wanted dessert and every time we would go out I expected to order dessert and so my needs became his and if you want to talk about maybe something a little bit more heavy we could talk about having children well I was ready to have children like a couple weeks after each child I birthed <laughs> Victor needed a little bit more time so I gave him time I stopped bugging him I stopped uh, pressuring him right after I would give birth to the first and the second child we need to have a third. We need to have another, you know. I just stopped. His need became my need. Patience. Growing your entrepreneurial side is usually not comfortable. Maybe not the first or even the second or even the third time. If you've never invested in something before, you know, it may not be comfortable to invest in it for the first time. If you're thinking about becoming a landlord or buying a property for the first time, it is totally normal not to be comfortable with it the first time. But ask yourself, am I comfortable becoming a landlord or am I willing to become a landlord? Because while you might answer answer those differently, you can still become one and just know it might not be comfortable or you may not become one at all. But if you have that entrepreneurial itch or you're just working on a couple streams of income, know that it is totally normal to be freaked out at first. And of course, I'm not saying don't do your homework. Don't do your run your numbers. Y'all know this was not my cup of tea six years ago, six or seven years ago investing in real estate. And now I can definitely find the joy in so many aspects of it. All aspects? Well, no, but most. And it's super fun. And even growing new businesses all the time is not comfortable. But I know that's a normal feeling and it's something I've learned to live with. And I think Elaine has amazing points she made here. It's just not normal to be comfortable the first time. And of course, if you are, more power to you. Number three, even if there is suffering, even if there is hurt, commit to be in it together. Commit to do it together with your spouse, with your partner. Elaine, while actively going through a miscarriage, continued to renovate her dump war zone property that they had purchased. She committed to moving forward. When her husband gave her the option, go home and rest, I'll take care of it. And you know, it would have been okay if she would have gone home to rest because going through a miscarriage is huge. That is one of the most huge life devastations. So when there is suffering and when there is hurt, do it together, regardless of how, how you're doing it, but knowing that you have each other's backs and then moving forward together. Number four, outsourcing. Outsourcing is so important. 
Dr. Elaine tells us, anything that is not each other, not their children, not medicine, or not their business, they outsource. Elaine and Nick could barely handle household help financially. I mean, she was in school and in residency. However, they found a way to do it. They scraped up whatever they had. They figured out how much money they would need to make per hour in order to have that per hour of help at home. And they did it because it's so much less stressful. And then you have more time for each other and you have more time for your children. And you have more time for what really matters in your life. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me today on the 18th episode of Medicine, Marriage, and Money. I I am so happy you're still here listening with me. I'm not just talking to myself. Woohoo! <laughs> I love you guys so much. Thank you for sharing. I got um, lots of great feedback from the last episode on Drs. Leti and Kenji people loved what they had to say. You're and, and now you're going to absolutely love what Dr. Elaine has to say. Please share it with your friends. I know that people shared last episodes with their friends. Family, hit subscribe if you haven't already and leave a review because that really helps my podcast get seen by other people and um, get noticed. Without that, it kind of just stays in the shadows. So I would super appreciate that. And of course, you guys know I am an open book. I am here for you. I'm here to support you. If you have any questions related to relationships or marriage, reach out to me on Facebook. I respond to Facebook Messenger usually same day. Uh, Instagram Messenger, maybe a little bit less, but I'm trying to get better at checking that at two too. And follow, you know, join, if you're a physician, join my Facebook group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money. Um, You know, my husband also has a Facebook group, 39.6, where he dives a little bit more into the nitty gritty numbers and finances, where I stay a little bit superficial with money mindset and relationships. Also, I am preparing a talk for the White Coat Investor Conference coming up here in March 4th through 6th that you can sign up for now. And I think early bird registration ends, you know what? It might've ended yesterday or it might end today. Actually, it might end today on the 11th. So check that out. White Coat Investor Conference. Uh, I think it might be the third or fourth annual conference he's having and it's virtual this year. So it's going to be super easy to attend. All you have to do is log in from wherever you live or work. So that'll be March 4th through 6th. I know so many of the other speakers and it's going to be incredible. So please never hesitate to reach out to me. I love you guys. I hope you walk away asking yourself, are my partner's needs my needs? How much of my life could change or could have changed in one second? And how much gratitude do I have for that, for what life has given me? Do I value security or freedom? Does my spouse value security or freedom more? And if this is different for each of us, how can we allow these to complement each other? Do I believe that having a nanny means someone else is raising my children? Or if someone else has a nanny, are we judging, am I judging them for having somebody else raise their children? Do I believe having help at home makes one snooty? And lastly, 
How can I create the home environment I want? So much love and joy to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.